Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. From the Sheraton Hotel in downtown Toronto, welcome to the Empire Club of Canada. For those of you joining us by webcast or podcast, welcome to the meeting. It is my distinct honour to host Ontario's Finance Minister, Rod Phillips. As he joins us today, the Minister is preparing to deliver his first budget at the end of this month. The whole province is watching at this critical juncture, as the geopolitical landscape looks as complex as ever. With the immediate challenges of struggling markets and COVID-19 to calibrate for, the Minister also faces the longer-term task of balancing the province's books by 2023, all while preserving the essential services that make Ontario one of the best places in the world to open a business. When he inherited the finance portfolio last June, he was tasked by Premier Ford with continuing to focus on the same three priorities that have guided his government to date. First, reducing the cost of living for Ontarians by making everyday life more affordable. Second, continuing to make critical investments in our infrastructure, healthcare, and education systems, which are the envy of the world. And third, bringing government spending in line with our means in order to put the province back on solid financial footing. As the global economy is buffeted by forces beyond the control of any one government, it is more essential than ever to hear directly from our elected leaders. In the United States, it's common in times of national stress to talk about the need for a consoler-in-chief. I think here in Ontario, as we see markets facing unprecedented upheaval, it's likely many of us too in this room are looking for some consoling looking to gain some comfort by better understanding how we will respond to the forces pushing against our economy. And with that, we're pleased to have Minister Phillips. Minister Phillips is the MPP for Ajax and served previously as Ontario's Minister of Environment, Conservation and Parks. He is also the past President and CEO of the Ottawa Ontario Lottery and Gaming Corporation and past Chair of Post Media. I'll be back up to put a few, question to him, a few questions to him in a moment, but for now, please welcome Minister Rod Phillips. Thank you very much, Mike, for the, uh, the kind introduction. Mike is the, uh, as, as you would know, he's, he's almost two-thirds of the way through being president of the Empire Club. I had uh, had the same experience across the road at the Canadian Club, which is another great uh, platform for speaking. And I said this was about the time when you start to get relaxed, when you see crowds this big and the, uh, and the number of events you're having, you know that things are going well. So thanks for, thanks for having me here. Of course, as all of you know, the Ontario Club for almost 120 years has been one of the chosen platforms to debate the issues of the day. And, uh, and it's a real privilege for me to have an opportunity to be here again today. I am joined by, by a few of my colleagues, and I want to just uh, recognize them. The President of the Treasury Board, Peter Beffenfalvi, who also has the, I think it's the pleasure, but to represent the riding of, uh, of Pickering-Uxbridge, or if he's in Uxbridge, the riding of Uxbridge-Pickering, uh, but next door to my, to my, my riding in Ajax. Um, we're also joined by the Attorney General, Doug Downey. Thank you, Mr. Attorney General. And by, uh, yes, let's clap for the Attorney General. Let's... Obviously, some prospective judges at the back of the room, Doug. Um, and, uh, and the um, Minister of Community and Children's Services, Todd Smith. Todd is with us today as well. Todd. 
Stan Cho, who is the MPP from Willowdale and my parliamentary assistant. Stan, thank you for coming. And someone that I've known through a number of her, uh, her careers as she has uh, worked her way through a number of important positions, uh, Mitzi Hunter, who is the uh, member from Scarborough-Gilwood. Mitzi, thank you for being here. So we are here today to talk about uh, our coming budget. And on March the 25th, we will take the next step in our plan to build Ontario together when I introduce our government's second budget and my first budget as finance minister. Now, in preparation for that, Stan, who I mentioned is my PA and, uh, and I, traveled across uh, Ontario for the last several months listening to people across this province as we uh, conducted the largest budget consultation uh, that this province has ever seen. We heard from people living in communities across Ontario, from corner to corner. Online and in person, over 5,000 individuals and organizations made a contribution, and I want to thank them for the time they put in and the input they gave. It truly mattered. But we listened directly through this process to close to 1,000 individuals. It's a very interesting process where you, in a community hall, whether it's in Brockville or Belleville or Kenora or Scarborough, where you, you sit and listen. It's a bit unusual because the politicians don't say much and the people do. And the people came in and they would present and talk about their issues, their priorities. They talked about their hopes and their worries for, uh, for, uh, for Canada and for Ontario. And of course, recent events have shown that many of those worries are not made here in our country. The world is becoming more uncertain. There are increasing geopolitical risks. We see the wild swings in important commodity prices. And of course, the risk that has been presented by COVID-19. Now today I'm going to speak about those uncertainties, but I'm also going to talk about solutions. I'm going to talk about how our government's plan is designed to ensure that while Ontario is not immune to global economic forces, we are well positioned to address whatever the challenges are that lie ahead. Now as you all know, COVID-19 has emerged as a serious international health emergency. Yesterday news from our G7 partner Italy was just the latest in a series of stories about how many jurisdictions around the world are challenged and having to cope with the difficulties associated with this virus. Above all else, I know that all of our thoughts are with those who have been directly affected, both uh, themselves and their families, here in Ontario and across Canada. But of course, as Ontario's finance minister, like many of you, I also need to be concerned with the economic impacts of COVID-19. Now, it is clear that COVID-19 is having an economic impact. How deep and significant that impact will be will be unclear until we know the true scope of the issue and how long it is going to persist. Now, since earlier this year, in my role as finance minister, I've been in frequent contact with leaders from a variety of areas, leaders from organized labor, business leaders, including leaders in our financial sector, along with accountants and uh, economists, health experts, mayors, and of course my fellow finance ministers across the country. What I can tell you from those conversations is that all of those leaders and all levels of government are working very diligently to make sure that we're prepared to address COVID-19. They are prepared and they are being prudent. And so are the people of Ontario. 
across the province, they're taking the situation seriously and applying common sense to protect them and their families. I, uh, I have the privilege of sitting beside Christine Elliott, who's our Deputy Premier and Minister of Health in the, uh, the legislature, and I was relating to her a story from this weekend. I was in my riding of Ajax and, and you know, always interested in what people are seeing and what people are hearing, and, and there was a number of comments about the, the lack of hand sanitizers. Apparently the Costco uh, was completely sold out and the only place you could get them was at the local gas station. And so I was sharing this with Christine and in a very, um, a very purposeful way she said, you know Rod, soap and water has worked really well for about 500 years. <laughs> now the, um, of course the utmost importance is our response from our health sector. And I mentioned Christine, um, our colleague, the Deputy Premier Minister of Health, has I think first of all done a great job of being out in front and communicating on the issue while making it clear that we are following the facts and listening to healthcare professionals and scientists when it comes to the steps that our government takes. But she hasn't made it clear that the processes that we have in place are working. Our healthcare professionals are responding effectively to the challenges presented by the virus. And although it's too early to know exactly what will be required, we have assured people, and I will assure you today, that the government will make sure that the resources are there so that our frontline healthcare professionals can do what they need to do to protect our province and the people of our province. Now this, of course, includes measures to ensure the province's readiness and to re refer or to deal with a range of scenarios. Minister Elliott announced that Ontario's implemented an enhanced response structure that formally brings together a wide range of partners to review, strengthen, and implement both provincial and regional plans to ensure that this responsiveness is calibrated to the specific issues associated with COVID-19. This enhanced structure connects and expands the network of clinical expertise and resources across the health sector to ensure that necessary plans are in place and that they can be quickly implemented where they are required. It includes a number of groups with specific responsibilities, including a command table, to provide executive leadership and strategic direction to coordinate Ontario's response. Now, our Deputy Minister of Health, Helen Angus, and Ontario's Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. David Williams, are taking the lead on this enhanced structure, and I'd like to take this opportunity publicly to thank them for this leadership at this important time. Now, we also all should be thanking the frontline uh, service providers in communities across the province, particularly in our health sector. They're providing the care to ensure that the public is aware of the risks of COVID-19 and that we're all doing everything we can do to ensure that our communities stay healthy. This includes public health officials, doctors, nurses, and other frontline health professionals. We're very grateful for their dedication. And I want to assure them, as I've assured you, that the province of Ontario will make sure that the dollars and the resources required to respond to COVID-19 are in place where and when they are needed. Now other leaders in our communities are stepping up as well. As I mentioned, it's too early to judge the full economic impact, but business leaders and union leaders are being proactive, ensuring the safety of their employees and their members, the health of their businesses, and in doing so, they are protecting jobs. Citizens across Ontario are also taking the situation with the characteristic common sense that we come to expect from the people of Ontario. Small practical actions that can make a big difference, like washing our hands 
I think I was, I was talking to uh, some representatives from the home, care, uh, the home care sector who are here today and have washing, you know, wash your hands, don't touch your face. They said if I said nothing else in the speech, I should say that three times. So wash your hands, don't touch your face. Wash your hands, don't touch your face. Wash your hands, don't touch your face. <laughs> Uh, but simple actions like that and important uh, acts of compassion, making sure that we're checking in on the elderly, making sure that we're checking in on those who have underlying health conditions. These are all things that we can do to make sure that we mitigate both the health and the economic impacts of COVID-19. Now on a positive note, we are entering into this period of economic uncertainty um, in a position of strength. Under Premier Doug Ford's leadership, 2019 was one of the good years for Ontario in terms of economic growth and job growth. In fact, you know, we've seen a uh, really considerable uh, increase in employment since we were elected in, uh, in 2018. Last year, we led the country with 78% of all of the jobs that were created in Canada being created right here in Ontario. Since our government took office, over 300,000 net new jobs have been created. And very importantly, 85% of those were created by the private sector, by people like yourselves, entrepreneurs and business people. Now, business people across the province have told me that our government's pro-investment, pro-job policies have made the difference. Our actions, including allowing businesses to accelerate the depreciation of, of capital investments, uh, reducing a small business tax rate by 8.7%, eliminating over 200 regulations and rules that were outdated but were getting in the way of business investment, these have all helped to spur what the uh, Financial Accountability Officer said was the largest year of job growth in Ontario's history last year. But, yeah, that's worth a But in a global economy, only so much is within our control. COVID-19 demonstrates this, as do the recent rail blockades. We all saw in a matter of days how our economy responded to the disruptions in the transportation system. Yesterday's dramatic drop in the price of oil and the effect that had in markets around the world, including in Canada, is the latest reminder that we live in an interconnected global economy. As we consider the macroeconomic impa macro impact of these events, as we consider things like the impacts on corporate earnings, it is important that we never forget that it is workers and families that bear the brunt of these unexpected and unfortunate uh, incidents. We see it in a missed mortgage payment. We see it in a delayed retirement. We see it in a struggle to pay tuition. So what is it that government can do? We can provide reassurance and we can help mitigate uncertainty as we've done by making sure the necessary resources are in place for our public health and other health professionals. We can work together, which is exactly what we're doing in Canada as we coordinate our response with all levels of government. I commend my counterpart, Federal Finance Minister Bill Morneau, for bringing together last week the provincial finance ministers to make sure that we are coordinating our response to protect the Canadian economy. I'll be joining a Team, delegation, or team Ontario delegation to Ottawa, led by Premier Ford, this Thursday, where we plan to continue this conversation. I know that Premier Ford will be calling for further federal action and national coordination to address COVID-19. Minister Elliott will also be with us in Ottawa, and she'll be working closely with her federal counterparts, particularly on the issues where the federal government is the lead. These issues include the government's response to quarantine, 
and border screening. I personally look forward to discussing with Minister Morneau the specific actions that will be required from the federal government to deal with COVID-19, as well as a range of other important issues to Ontario. In the long run, one of the most important things that governments need to do is to ensure that they have the fiscal flexibility to deal with unforeseen circumstances. This is one of the reasons, and uh, Mark mentioned it in the introduction, this is one of the reasons why we are focused on getting Ontario back on a sound financial footing. And it's one of the reasons last year that our government charted a path to balance a budget in five years. We consciously chose this path because we anticipated the need to preserve our flexibility to deal with unexpected events. And as we've seen, private sector economists continue to revise their productions from even a month ago. The volatility we've recently seen underscores the importance of being measured and sticking to a practical long-term plan. And that's exactly what we'll do when we deliver our budget on March the 25th. That measured approach that we've taken gives investors confidence, capital markets and rating agencies confidence, and most importantly, the people of Ontario confidence that we will be able to deliver on our plan. It's a plan that's balanced, and it's a plan that's prudent, and it's a plan that is already working. As of the end of the third quarter, our deficit was projected to be $9 billion, a $1.3 billion improvement on the 2019 budget projections. As the Global Mail noted this morning, the recent financial sustainability report from the independent parliamentary budget officer, for the first time since the PBO reported on Ontario's fiscal sustainability, has indicated that the province's finances are now sustainable in the long term. This is tremendous progress in two years. Getting our financial house in order will ensure that Ontario is ready to respond to whatever external impacts are on our economy or on our healthcare system. And it's because of this balanced, prudent approach to managing the provincial finances that we are in a position to make the needed vital investments in things like healthcare, education, roads, and transit. Our plan is already making a difference. We're providing tax relief for those who need it the most supporting the childcare needs of 300,000 low-income families with an average benefit of $1,250 per child, keeping more money in the pockets of low-income workers by saving up to $850 every year for 1.1 million Ontarians. We're helping entrepreneurs grow the economy and create jobs by giving business a break so that they can invest in our province and invest in Ontario. And that break is $5.4 billion this year. Our 2020 budget will build on the progress that we've already made. Working to close the persistent gap between the GTA and much of the rest of Ontario when it comes to jobs and economic growth. Tackling the skilled trade shortage. Finally beginning to end the congestion on our roads and fix our overcrowded transit systems addressing the challenge of hallway health care, and fighting illegal gun and gang problems plaguing our communities and the heinous crime of human trafficking that is happening in our own backyard. In this regard, I have to say I'm very proud of Premier's, Ford Premier's Ford's announcement, a historic investment just made last week of $307 million, Ontario's first 
anti-human trafficking strategy. This $307 million investment will help law enforcement get traffickers off the streets, but just as importantly, maybe more importantly, provide support for the victims. <laughs> Under the leadership of our Premier, we're making great progress, but have no doubt there is a great deal left to do. Our plan to build Ontario together is creating opportunity in every region of Ontario and will allow every family in Ontario, no matter where they live, to prosper. We're committing to ensure that Ontario is a place where anyone who is willing and able to work hard has the opportunity to achieve their potential. If my recent travels around the province have reminded me of anything, it's that Ontario and its people are ready and able to handle whatever challenges and whatever opportunities are in front of them. On March 25th, we'll take our next step in our plan to build Ontario together. It's a plan that creates confidence in the face of adversity. But more than that, it is a blueprint for a better province, a prosperous province, a province where all of us can achieve our potential. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Minister. Um, I started. Uh, let you get set up. I started the introduction by talking a little bit about, you know, our desire to be consoled and to take some comfort in, uh, in uh, what seemed like uh, unsettling times. Maybe if there's one thing you'd want to point out to, to the crowd that uh, you think that yeah that they could take comfort in as we think about uh, pretty pretty uncertain times we find ourselves in. You know, the, uh, I mean, the, the message I wanted to leave people with is that because of the work uh, that all of us have been doing, the province is in a financial situation where we can weather this storm. But I think if I only had one thing to, to talk about, it really does come from that hope and enthusiasm and resilience you find in the people of Ontario. Um, Stan and I, when you get to travel from Kenora to Kingston and you know, Scarborough to Sarnia, and you sit in town halls and church basements listening to people line up, wait two or three hours to give you their input on what they want to see so that the province can be a better place, um, you just come away with this enormous sense of optimism. And I have to say, in response to the COVID-19 crisis, I've seen that same sense of just good common sense the people of Ontario uh, tend to show in times like this. So we can't be sure what the future holds from a health perspective. And as I said, the, the situation from the economy's point of view is evolving. But I just have so much confidence in, uh, in people in Ontario uh, to do the right thing, to take care of each other, and as I said, to come out the other side uh, a better, stronger province. Right. Uh, one of the things you highlighted was the idea of sort of mitigating uncertainty, and you know that's one of the goals of the government uh, in, in the work that you're doing. Um, of course, you can't know the unknowns, uh, but uh, as you sit there and you think about the budget, maybe what's uh, and think about your government's response to COVID-19. Um, you know, what are some of the ways you think the government can offer that leadership to to mitigate the uncertainties? 
Sure. Well, one of the one of the challenges that I, I've talked about um, publicly already is that, like um, other provinces, Alberta already issued their budget. Manitoba and Quebec are doing it this week. Um, the economic assumptions that much of this was based on come from even two or three weeks ago. Those are changing as we go. So, so there's clearly going to be a need to be flexible, to be dynamic as the situation evolves. But um, we always ensure uh, that uh, that we have contingency and reserve. Uh, right. in, in the budget, you know, a number that uh, one of the, uh, Mike Crawley from CPC asked me about uh, yesterday was, you know, what does 1% decline in GDP cost the provincial government? And it's an estimate, but somewhere between seven and $800 million. Um, and that's one of the reasons we have a reserve of over a billion dollars built in. You know, that said, um, what's important is that given a, a solid financial foundation, um, that we respond and that we, we see primarily and principally what our healthcare professionals need. Right. Um, if we continue to listen to the professionals, if we continue to listen to the scientists and take advice from the people who know best, then, then we should come through this um, as well as we can. Right. On the economic side, um, this is one of the reasons I'm looking forward to, uh, to speaking with Bill Morneau later this week. On the economic side, um, if there's a requirement for more support, um, then we'll want to do that in partnership uh, with the federal government uh, to make sure that we're, we're looking at the areas of risk, um, areas like uh, you know, the hospitality industry. Um, there's, there's areas that are quite clearly being affected, um, events. Uh, I've had a number of conversations with people who organize major events uh, in and around uh, the GTA, and they're making difficult decisions right now about, about what, what exactly makes sense. But, but we need to be there to, to provide that support if it's necessary, and we need to make sure people have the confidence that we have the resources, which we do, to support our healthcare professionals. Right. Well, maybe we'll move past uh, COVID-19, though I get that uh, it's something we're all thinking about. Uh, your government certainly made some moves uh, uh, to uh, modernize the securities and capitals markets, and I'm sure there's some folks in here would love to hear a little bit of your thoughts about, I guess, what you're hearing from the sector and, and, and your thoughts on, on how you might approach those challenges. So our government looks at, uh, at what the foundations are for, uh, for future economic prosperity. And there are at least three that we're focused on um, quite closely. Uh, one is the whole area of IP, where Jim Balsilli has done some great work for us to look at what we need to do to accelerate the number of patents to succeed in a digital economy. A second is the whole idea of regulation in a digital economy, mm -hmm. something that I think uh, you'll hear more from us about, but is going to be an ongoing project. But, um, but I, I've put a, a particular focus on, on the capital markets because quite clearly there's been an evolution in capital markets internationally. Uh, we see more of a move to private capital from public capital. Um, but we also see that some of the structures of our capital markets uh, may not be ensuring uh, that investors can have ready access to the kind of opportunities they want and that businesses may not have access to uh, the kind of investor pool uh, that, that would be best to grow jobs here in Ontario and across Canada. So uh, I asked Waleed Solomon, um, who's the chairman of, of Norton Rose and someone I've known a long time, to lead... And clap for Waleed. <laughs> it was good to know Norton Rose bought a table. Thank you. Um, but um, but, the, uh, but to, uh, to lead a team, really, really five exceptional individuals all you know, working for free and putting in a lot of time and gathering input from, from the sector about... What, what changes do we need to make? Now, now just as a, a note, the, the Securities Act, which underlies a lot of the capital markets, is by legislation supposed to be reviewed every five years. It's been 16 years since it's been reviewed. Right. So that was probably a good enough reason to do it. But, but quite clearly, since 15 years ago, there's been a lot of change. So 
I'm going to be looking very closely at the recommendations that Waleed and his team bring. They're going to be putting out a document in June, I believe, for consultation, but right now they're having meetings. And, and fundamentally at the core of it, our objective is to create the best opportunity for investment and job creation in Ontario. And so I think uh, we will look very closely and I'd welcome the ideas of everyone in this room as to how we can do that from a capital markets perspective, from an IP perspective, and from a digital regulation perspective. Right. Great. Um... Earlier this week was International Women's Day, and, and you touched on in your remarks about the anti-human trafficking uh, work that your government's doing. Uh, that's probably worth a little bit more uh, comment, and uh, if you can talk a little bit more about why it's important and what your government's focusing on. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we are so uh, blessed in our government to have uh, a number of really strong women leaders in some of the very, very key roles in our government. I already talked about uh, Christine Elliott uh, and uh, Deputy Premier and, uh, and Minister of Health, which for those of you who don't know the Ontario budget means that she gets 40% of the money uh, to, uh, to, uh, to spend and, and is doing just a great job. Uh, another one of those leaders, um, or two of those leaders, um, Sylvia Jones, our Solicitor General, and Jill Dunlop, our Minister, Associate Minister of Children. And they really um, got behind the Premier's vision, which is you know, this idea that in our own neighbourhoods, uh, in our own communities, um, that uh, primarily young women, not exclusively young women, are being stalked and, and then trafficked um, by pimps and criminals um, is just something that would be unacceptable to all of us. I remember the first time, and I remember I was with Peter, we met with, with one of the survivors who now works in the victim services area. And I, and I say this because she was so compelling. She was trying to give us some sense of what this was about. And she said, do you remember the movie Taken? And so I remember I was like, yes, I remember the Taken. She said, it is nothing like that. It is all about you know, neighborhoods, shopping malls, um, places, whether it's in Durham, where I'm from, or the places you're from, uh, where, where these young women are being sought out, stalked, and, and, and trafficked. So the Premier was quite clear uh, to Sylvia and Jill, I want you know, the best strategy in this country um, to, to eradicate this heinous crime, $307 million uh, that will be focused on a number of areas. I should say Doug Downey, the Attorney General, is also involved. Part of this is about prosecutions. Part of this is about direct law enforcement, uh, both, both at the OPP level and the local level. And a huge part of this is about making sure that there's supports so that when women make that decision to get out of that life, they have a place that they can stay and live and be supported. So, I mean, I have to say it's one of the investments I'm proudest that we've made and will continue to support this. It's something we all should get behind. Now, when we're, when we're sitting here having, having lunch and you said, you know, I'd be happy to take some questions uh, from the audience, you know, which we hadn't discussed. So as a former political staffer, I kind of got hives as you said that. <laughs> Uh, on their behalf, but, uh, but we, there will be an opportunity for one or two questions at the end uh, if you'd like to ask. Um, you touched on Christine Elliott, and she, she has certainly uh, launched some, made some initiatives for the government on behalf of mental health, which is an area that we're, we're focusing on so much more, and I think uh, the, any awareness we can bring to it, of course, is, is a great thing. But maybe if you could touch on it a bit from an economic and fiscal uh, framework, uh, how we're thinking about that, that issue. Listen, we have a great team there with Michael Tabolo, who's the Associate Minister of, of Mental Health. And I swear, literally, if, if there's anybody in the mental health space Michael hasn't met with, I mean, he is, he is just a prodigious worker. And then, of course, Christine. This all, the foundation of this is a $3.8 billion investment that we're making in partnership with the federal government over 10 years, half from them, half from us. The biggest single investment ever 
um, in, in, in mental health services. But it's really meant to be put in the context of a, of a, of a strategy. And I, I have a little bit of background in this space because in my business background, I was formerly the CEO of a company called Warren Chappelle and then Chappelle FGI, but it was the largest provider of something called EAP services. And so that's a, a mental health, social health service that's provided. And, um, and, and you got a sense in that role, I was the CEO for about seven years, about the pervasive nature of, of the mental health issue. And so what Christine and Michael have really embraced is the idea of dealing with this um, at a system level to make sure that there can be easier access, um, but also understanding the specific areas, whether it's children's mental health or, or mental health issues as it relates to certain of our frontline first responder professions from a PTSD perspective um, in, our, in our elderly. Um, one of the things that they've announced is, is the Center of Excellence for Mental Health as part of the, the beginnings of that strategy. So again, as I said in talking about the situation we face with COVID-19, we want to follow the facts, follow the science, and then put in place the system. And as, as Michael would say, you know, that there is no health without mental health, and we need to change our thinking to understand that. And when we change that thinking, then the kind of investments that are required will follow, and then the kind of engagement that I think we need across the sector uh, will follow to, to really make a difference. Wonderful. Um, so you talked a little bit about small business and cutting red tape and private sector job growth and, and so the good numbers in 2019. Uh, but of course, you're in government, so it's a, you know, what have you done for me lately business? Um, maybe you could talk a little bit about how you hope, uh, you know, leaving COVID aside, how you're hoping to sort of continue that growth in the economy uh, with the budget coming up and your plans. Sure. Uh, well, listen, we've, uh, I, I, I called out a couple of the priorities um, that were it not for COVID-19, probably been, would have been the subject of the whole speech. Um, but, I'll, but I'll focus in on two in particular. One is this issue of, of skilled trades. Um, and, and the labor shortage. Um, I was just uh, with the president of the CFIB this morning, and they gave me their latest update in terms of help wanted. How many, how many jobs are there that aren't going filled? And it's 171,000 jobs, more than four months uh, that went unfilled, is a you know, survey. So clearly there is a need from business um, to fill those spaces. And when you travel around the province, you see the help wanted signs. And, and it's not just in the GTA, it's, it's more, more broadly skewed. Uh, so, um, so one of the areas of focus, and our colleague, uh, Minister Monty McNaughton, who's the Minister of Labor and Skills Development, is very focused on what we're doing around apprenticeships, uh, and along with Ross Romano, our Minister of Post-Secondary, on what we're doing um, around uh, making sure the colleges are plugged into apprentices, along with Stephen Lecce, our Minister of Education, who's saying, what are we doing in our primary and secondary schools to promote the skilled trades? You know, we need 200,000 people just in the skilled trades area over the next five years. So, so that focus on how we accelerate that process and make sure that we're, we're generating the workforce that we need to be successful in the future is, is part of it. Another area, and I mentioned it in the speech, inside and outside the GTA, when you look at the statistics, it is undeniable that the, principally the job growth and to a large extent the economic growth has happened in the GTA and in certain large centers, say right. Ottawa. Uh, there is that disparity. And so we are uh, going to be talking about a number of initiatives to try to balance that out. We need to have um, that, that opportunity and that economic growth and those jobs happening, not just in, uh, in, in those centers. And there's some great initiatives. I'm going to brag a little bit about one of your sponsors. Um, but you know, I was up in Owen Sound as part of the budget consultation and got to travel with some of the uh, leaders, the CEO from Bruce Power, to some of the committees. And am, am I right? Is it 53 companies? 
Did it get 60? Look at that. It's even more. 60. So, so we, there's a major refurbishment of the nuclear facilities happening um, up in Bruce Gray County uh, near Concordia, and this is a multi-multi-billion year, multi-decade refurbishment. And as a result of the partnership with, with, with Bruce and the Ontario government and local governments, 60 companies have now located there that are providing the support to build the high-precision welding that's required for refurbishing a nuclear power plant. This is literally the, the unemployment in the Owen Sound uh, census management area is under 5%. Right. right? So, so these are the kinds of initiatives that make sense, but we want to bring that opportunity and prosperity to the whole of the province. So those skilled trades and trying to make sure that we're, we're working on that prosperity in the north, in parts of eastern Ontario and parts of southwestern Ontario will be in the budget. That's great. So there'll be a chance for one or two questions if anyone, uh, there's some mics moving around, if anyone wants to put their hands up, uh, it's your opportunity to, to speak to the finance minister and ask a question. Um, I thought I would ask you to reflect a little bit on you. You started your career. You did a, a bunch of work on the municipal level, so you, you, you have that, uh, that opportunity to have uh, worked at multiple levels of government. How has that uh, sort of shaped your thoughts uh, as, as you do the role you do and, and, and how governments work together? I think you know, I, I was involved in politics uh, quite young uh, in terms of being, being active, uh, going back, I think, to the free trade election in 1988. But it was municipal politics that uh, helped me understand that when you put the partisanship aside, a lot of people that are involved in politics, whether they're liberals or they're the New Democrats uh, or the Green Party, um, they all come to things with a common passion. In fact, I'd even say the same thing about the media. It, you know, the media and the people actively involved in politics may be the only people who care, you know, as much about, about, uh, about uh, what goes on. And, and so at City Hall, of course, to get things done, very different system at City Hall. And everybody now talks about, you know, the, how complicated it is to get things done there. When I worked there with Mel Lastman, uh, when the uh, megacity was first put together, there were 56 councillors. And so it's a different environment where in each and every issue you have to get consensus. So I had you know, the pleasure to work with people like Jack Layton and Olivia Chow and David Miller, um, people who were very much from the opposite side of the political spectrum. And I learned that there is that opportunity to work together. Right. Now, you know, in, in, our, in our system, our parliamentary system, it's built to be more adversarial. And I think that is probably appropriate. It's important that there be an official opposition and that they hold the government to account. But fundamentally, I think that, that the vast majority of people involved in politics, whatever party they're in, are in it for the right reasons. They might have different views. And if you look at it that way, it makes, uh, it makes getting to solutions much easier. Right. And uh, you mentioned you are going to be talking with the Finance Minister Bill Morneau uh, later this week, and I expect the focus will be COVID-19 and, and how your respective governments are handling that. But, uh, you know, there are some other issues uh, between, between the countries. Uh, there is a USMCA that has not yet been rat ratified uh, federally. Um, are there any other things you might uh, bring up in that meeting? Yeah, certainly the USMCA is a, uh, is a very important priority. Um, not everyone realizes that if Ontario was a standalone country, we'd be the third biggest trading partner uh, with the United States. So, so that needs to get done, and that's not just a matter of the government, but it's a matter of the opposition and other parties. And, and I'm also going to be meeting with the opposition critics and the NDP critics, so I'll make sure I make that point. Um, we're very focused, as the other uh, provincial governments are, on increasing the escalator and the health care. Uh, we, we know with an aging population, there's increased costs associated with, uh, with delivering the services that people uh, require, and we've asked for 5.2%, the, the increase to 5.2% of the annual escalator. Um, 
I would say um, most important, aside from, from dealing with COVID-19, um, the infrastructure investments that we need to make in this province uh, need to be supported by our federal government. There are hundreds of projects across uh, the province that are waiting for sign-off. And listen, there's a process and we're going through that, but we, we need the federal government to, uh, to, to get going on that. And for the very significant projects, and we're very pleased that they were supportive of the, uh, of the massive expansion of subways that Doug Ford and, and John Tory um, have agreed to have happen here in the GTA, but we also need them to come to the table uh, to support that kind of infrastructure. It's, it's just the necessary work that needs to be done. And by the way, in a time of economic uncertainty, not a bad idea to start putting thousands and thousands of people to work, building infrastructure that's absolutely necessary. Thank you very much, Minister. Your words are much appreciated. Uh, again, Minister, uh, Minister of Finance. Thank you. Thank you. Hold on. And I'm going to ask, and I'm going to ask uh, Pat Dalzell from uh, Bruce Power to come up and properly show appreciation. Yeah. Thanks, Mike, and uh, thank you, Minister. Um, it's funny, this is a bit of deja vu for me, because it feels like not that long ago I was up here at uh, the Empire Club uh, delivering closing remarks for you, Minister, as Minister of the Environment. So uh, it's, uh, and that's not coincidence. Uh, you know, the environment and the economy are two of our top priorities as an organization. From the environmental perspective, it's all about our role in, uh, in coal phase-out in Ontario. And from the, uh, from the economic side of things, obviously is home to Canada's largest infrastructure project, um, where we take our role in Ontario that way very seriously. Of course, delivering electricity and isotopes uh, that, that help treat cancer uh, for the next several decades. And we're only able to do that and invest in the community the way the minister described because of uh, stable government policy. So it's, it's thanks to that, that policy stability that we're able to invest in our infrastructure, invest in the community, and of course that has a ripple effect all across Ontario and creates what we refer to as our nuclear advantage. So uh, thank you, Minister, for your time today, and, and thank you to all the staff and other elected officials who are here today who engage so closely with the private sector, uh, private sector in terms of putting together the budget, and we're all looking forward to that, Minister. So thank you very much, and thanks to the Empire Club uh, for hosting events like this. We're obviously always very proud to, uh, to, uh, to support these kinds of uh, dialogues and conversations. Uh, and one more round of applause for the minister today. Thank you. Well, thanks for coming out. We have uh, a number of other events coming up at the Empire Club of Canada. We have a great one tomorrow about putting seniors first. Uh, please look to our website to find out about other events. This meeting is adjourned. Thank you.